It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 74 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Stan Dryav, Nick Braccia on deck. We're going to talk about last week's UFC 253 in which Israel Adesanya styled on Paula Costa. And we're going to get into this weekend's UFC Fight Night headlined by Holly Holm and Irene Aldana. Nikolai, how are you, buddy? You know, uh, just as Izzy styled on Costa, I styled on you, Stan Dryav, <laughs> on the picks. I, I I was actually going to use a Habib metaphor. I felt like all during that card with my picks, I was just ground and pounding you going, you know, you know, the belt is mine. Why? Just give up. I smash you. Don't make me smash you. I don't want to. You seem like nice guy, Stan. <laughs> but <laughs> but I just kept it. I just you didn't give up. So I just kept kept the ground and pound going and had uh, had my win locked up. Uh, by the second fight of the main card, which is you know, which is rare. I got to just put it. I just I got to coast. I got to just coast around the cage for the rest of the night. It was great. Yeah, that really did work out for you. Yeah, I made some apparently bad picks. <laughs> Dominic Reyes, uh, Kaikar France, Camer was a bad pick, obviously, and you had some good ones. Obviously, Riddell Espino came through for you. Jake Matthews came through for you. You had the first pick, and that was kind of a giveaway. But man, the, the betting way, true, didn't go for me. True that the betting didn't go well for me either, Nick. I was six and zero heading into last weekend, and I am now six and one. I lost sixty six dollars on the betting guide, and the truth is that we're still up by a huge margin over the three hundred bucks we started with uh, about a month ago. But it hurts a little bit. I do see some serious betting opportunities this weekend, and I'm a lot more confident. I talked last weekend about how I'm a little bit less confident, a little more trepidatious about those uh, opportunities that I saw. Uh, a lot of them had more risk to them than I would normally appreciate. And uh, here we are, Nikolai, my first loss in seven weeks. Trepidatious. You're breaking out the spitting back fist of adjectives. <laughs> yeah, I'd say I'd say that's fair. What would be the spinning back kick, Nick, do you think of adjectives? I don't know. I haven't had enough coffee yet. Tumultuous. Uh, yeah, tumultuous is a good one. I'm only dealing with uh, T words, Nick. That's okay. The... Uh, yeah, there were a couple. There were a couple of fights where I didn't necessarily pick against you, but I stayed away from them in the draft. Specifically, Reyes Blahovich in Kaikara France, Brandon Royval, because I told you I tried to give you a little signal that I thought there was a very good chance in each of those fights that the dog came through. So I did not feel confident enough in picking Reyes or or France to um, to choose those. So I was a little surprised. Uh, I was a little surprised when you did, but uh, I guess some somebody had to, and I'm glad it I'm glad it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, I let you pick the top three favorites, and it was my mistake in assuming that those other. I mean, here's the thing: Ray is clearly underperformed. Clearly, something is odd, and obviously, Jan Blackwise had a brilliant performance. Like, uh, I'm, we're gonna quickly get into this. Let, Blahovich. Blaho you are so you are so right, Blahovich. We gotta announce this man's name right if he's gonna be light heavyweight champ. Am I right, Nikolai? So let's first get into Adesanya Costa. Did you see the did you see the video I sent you? The video I sent you of him getting greeted in the. Uh, I did. I don't know where the where the airport in Poland was. I assume it was in Krakow, but it. Uh, yeah. A hero's awesome. welcome, and it's well earned. Jan Blachowicz at age 37. I talked about last week how cool it would be if this man at this age, after going I think one and four in his first five UFC bouts, how he is now eight and one in his last nine. And holding the light heavyweight championship, he beat the man, Nick, that beat John Jones according to just about everybody. So in my opinion, he's the clear-cut light heavyweight champ. Can he beat John Jones? To be quite honest with you, this version of him has a decent chance. John Jones has not looked good in a long time. And Jan Blackwitz not only has serious power, not only did he, was he able to initiate his offense with his blitzes, right? And that's what I was worried about. I thought that Dominic Reyes, given his talents, would be able to slip and counter those blitzes. And he didn't. He just backed up, man. He felt out of sorts. He was uncomfortable with the Polish power. And... Uh, not only did Yan initiate a lot of the exchanges and do it with power, but he also was able to counter him effectively. He got him actually with that knockout on the counter. It was that left hook that's always worked for Yan, and he's proven once again with it. He threw a jab cross hook and bam, that hook hit 
Dominic Reyes upside the head. He did a little bit of a dance on his way down to the floor. I thought it was an early stoppage, but I also think like there's not much reason to think that Blackwitz would not have won, whether it be a few seconds later or you know Blahovic. Blahovic. Sorry, man. I didn't realize you were so you, you were so technical about Slavic last names, Nick. I am. It's a it's it's a hobby of mine. <laughs> it, this that fight really that fight it just it for me it really came down to controlling distance. I thought that I thought that Reyes was going to be able to work from the outside and really frustrate uh, frustrate Jan with the with his kicking game. And Blahovich got you know he threw he threw kicks when he wanted to from kicking range that were devastating, but he and he got inside when he when he wanted to. There was just he contro- he controlled the fight. I think Reyes got you know either he was con- very concerned about the gas tank. Um, Chael Sonnen had a gave a nice talk on this on his YouTube channel about uh, what it can do to you mentally when you experience true exhaustion, like he believes Reyes did against John Jones, and that the potentially the preventative measures that he put in place so that would not happen again, um, either you know, either consciously or unconsciously, it it kind of took away. Uh, it took away his strength. It took away his activity. He just did not. He did not seem there. And um, in the in the first round, he was just tentative. So I don't know if that was psychological stuff that was residual from the Jones fight and wanting to maintain his energy took him out of his rhythm, or if Lovich just got in his face and he felt the power and was like, "Oh, this guy's different." And I know you talked last week about Blahovich didn't have a lot of one-punch knockouts against guys with good chins. He's not someone who was known. You know, he's not an Ngannou. Uh, style killer, uh, which was fair. I thought that was a, a fair observation. But he, uh, you know, he was Reyes definitely responded to those those strikes as though it was a different level. And it's not like Reyes has fought hasn't fought people that hit hard. He's fought you know o- Ozdemir. It doesn't doesn't have pillow fists. I don't think nope. um, he's certainly gotten hit. But he's gotten hit by guys. I mean, we could punch. I just think Jan. Brought, he just brought his A game, man, and I'm I'm happy for him, and I hope it's not a one and done reign. Yeah, I'm I really do hope so as well. And it's funny after the fight, John Jones tweeted and asked, I guess the fans, uh, you know, who you, would anybody be mad if I went down to beat him? First of all, you never went up like this whole John Jones coming back down. He never went up. He's talked about it for like 12 years now. The guy has never had the guts to do it. Let's not assume that he's back up. He talked about how he's willing to come back down now that it's Yan who he can fight for the belt because he didn't want to fight Dominic Reyes. Like that's it's absolutely astronomical to me. If he does end up staying down at 205 to fight um, Blackwitz, I'm going to be rooting for Blackwitz. I might place a nice bet on the man. I think John Jones is a fraction of the fighter he used to be. I'm not so sure that uh, he's going to be able to take down Blackwitz consistently. And standing up, it should not be super competitive as long as Blackwitz has a gas tank. And that's really the thing is that I talked about not so much that Blackwitz can't knock out guys with good chins. It's that his knockouts are over guys who have experienced a lot of knockouts. It's that you know he he hasn't shown the ability to knock someone out that has shown a great chin. In this case, he certainly did it, and it was super impressive. And you're right. I think that his power had a lot to do uh, with making Dominic kind of step back. Also, there was a weird situation. Dominic used to have a real team, and now he had like all of his brothers in his corner. I don't know what's going on. He also spoke about how he didn't have enough time to prepare for the fight. And I could see that combining with the conditioning aspect in the last fight where he looked really good for three rounds. And then rounds four and five, he was more tired. And that's when Jones was able to win uh, the, the, the last kind of 10 minutes of their bout because of the gas tank, right? Because he hasn't had five round experience. In this case, he didn't really have the chance to properly train for a five-round fight. So I could certainly see that being a big factor here where he kept his output so low that you know he, he wasn't really able to take advantage of his talents, of his speed advantage, of his height advantage in the matchup. Really, really impressive stuff by Blahovich. I am super excited for his reign. I genuinely hope he can whoop on John Jones. I genuinely hope John Jones sticks around long enough to fight him. I think it would be better poetic justice for John Jones to lose to a light heavyweight. Um, and another thing I think we it's worth discussing is how John Jones likes to step on guys that you know have previously talked any kind of trash to him. Anytime they lose, he just he just wants to pour salt on the wound. Um, he's a mediocre human being, and I guess we always kind of knew that, huh, Nick? Yeah, it's I, I don't think he'll go back down to light heavyweight. Um, it's not back down. He's never been up. God damn it! I'm sorry. <laughs> That's sorry. I don't think he'll. 
I don't I don't know what he, I don't know what he's I don't know what he's going to do. I still think that for him and McGregor and these guys who think that they're I believe they think they're bigger than the organization and like listen, I understand have like high achieving world famous prize fighters want to be paid the way they're paid in boxing. They believe they're driving the revenue yep. and the UFC has a you know has a different model. And there's pros and cons to that model. Of course, like clearly, they don't compensate their fighters appropriately. Um, but I think a lot of these, a lot of these bigger fighters are they're just holding out for these. Um, they're just holding out for crazy money fights. I think so. I think Jones will go wherever that is. I think he'll, you know, if Ngannou if Ngannou beat, beats Stipe, it's definitely there. I mean, either way, I think that that fight is the John Jones against the winner. Of that fight is still a bigger fight than um, him coming back down to take on Jan. Nick, I'm making an official prediction. John Jones is going to do the following. If Stipe Miocic beats Nganu, he's going to fight Stipe Miocic. If Nganu beats Stipe, especially by an early knockout, he is going to fight Jan Blackwitz. Mark my words. He is picking his matchups. You may be, you may be the right. The reason he didn't want to stay at 205, I genuinely believe, is because the UFC was pushing him to give a rematch to Dominic Reyes, and that was a risky, risky fight, and he knew it. He wanted to fight Yan, right? We saw that after Yan got his last victory. So I think there's a much higher chance now that John Jones stick, sticks around at heavyweight. I guess we're going to see how it works out. He's going to take the option, uh, I think, of least resistance. Look, his legacy is still extremely important to John Jones. His ability to boast about the fact that he's never been beaten, never been finished, is more important, I think, to him than the extra million and a half dollars. The guy's got a decent amount of money, presumably, right? Like, I don't get the impression that he just wastes a lot of it. I, I'm sure there's you know plenty of coke and, and marijuana and, and steroids on his budget, but I don't think that's enough to actually waste the majority of his money living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where living expenses are super low. You can have a mansion there for what you can have like a regular home in Queens, I think, New York. So yeah, I, I think John Jones is probably okay on the money line, and I think his legacy is extremely, extremely important to him. Should we get Nick into this main event, this shellacking that Israel Adesanya put on Paula Costa? Yeah, I mean... This went basically the way I thought it would. Costa just didn't. He did not. I think. I think he got in there and he quickly realized he was he was in there against a, a different animal, and just just froze. There was there was nothing he could do. He knew he couldn't blitz because he would get, you know, because he would get countered, and he just stood there and took those and you know took the beating on his legs i just i think he i think he froze i think that he was just in there with a much higher level guy and his chance his he, there were two things he could do rush in and get knocked out or get picked or stand back and get picked apart i don't think it's much more complicated than that i i do hear where you're coming from i think that there's a little bit more to it than him just being kind of shell-shocked by israel asanya early it wasn't like adesanya like Yan Blackowicz, it's not like he, Blahovich, excuse me, it's not like Adesanya landed, you know, a couple of bombs early and it made Paul Acosta think, holy crap, I cannot possibly compete with this man. I think it was more like in an interview before the fight, Paul Acosta talked about how he's not going to chase Adesanya. And I thought that just meant when Adesanya is literally running away, that he's not going to be like running after him, that he's going to reset in the middle of the ring. It turned out that he literally meant that he's not going to do the thing that brought him to the dance. What makes Paula Costa, an effective fighter, is that he overwhelms his opponents with pressure and power punches. Right? Pressure, yes. Right, and he, I think a big part of the issue here is that Paula's never gone five rounds, and it's the same issue with Dominic Reyes, right, where Reyes wasn't confident enough uh, in putting out a lot out there early, knowing that he might not have the gas tank to do it for five rounds. And I think it was the same same thing with Paul Costa. I think his team told him to be more measured, to be more careful, to focus on those body kicks. The thing is that for Paul Costa to win this matchup, he needed to deal out some damage early. That doesn't mean that he has to throw 150 strikes around, but man, maybe throw 60 strikes around. Maybe put something out there early to deal damage to Israel. We've seen Israel's face swell up before. We've seen his eyes close. We've seen his his lips, uh, you know, double in size. So like, it's possible to do damage to the guy. And all that Paul Acosta really wanted to do was throw those body kicks, which a couple of which landed, but that's not alone going to win you a fight against Israel Adesanya. Israel, yeah, like we expected that he would be able to counter Paulo's aggression, but I expected he would take some damage in that first round or two. And then in the third, fourth, and fifth round, he would start to come away with it. I expected him to finish in that, in that maybe third to fourth round range. And man, he didn't even need it. Both fights, both of these championship bouts ended in under two rounds. It did seem to me like Israel 
Like he got his distance. He got his time to think. Um, Polo Costa wasn't really aggressive and he wasn't really countering either. He was just throwing the occasional body kick and that was a big mistake. Uh, Afterward, Israel Asanya, you know, kind of got up from Paulo Costa from behind, did a little bit of a arguably, I guess, sexual assault, and then and then continued to celebrate. Paulo Costa saw the video, got on got on Instagram, and then wanted to pronounce that he 100% Nick disapproves of getting humped by the man that just shellacked him and knocked him out. Um, I'm not sure that's the best argument to make, but. Good to see uh, Paul Acosta looking okay after the fight, still looking motivated, I suppose. Uh, it'll be interesting to see him go up against uh, some of these guys. I will say quickly, 13-0 and versus 16-0. and It was more like 13-0 and versus like, versus like, I don't know, 98-5. and If you combine Israel Adesanya's overall record, there was a huge difference in combat sport experience here. And I'm surprised a lot of folks didn't see it. Yeah, I'm just a big believer in in Izzy. He's a huge star. I love him on the mic. I think he's a I think he's a very charismatic guy. Um, I can't. Yeah, I just can't wait to see what he does next. You know, I think the Brunson fight was the first one where I was like, "Holy shit!" Because I thought he was going to get beat in that fight. Then you know, also Ga- you know Gastelum. Um, I do think that fight broke him in a way, but like, let's give him some credit because he really pushed. Uh, he, not too long ago, he really pushed Izzy. Um, and it's just, it's clear what an elite competitor he is now. So I'm super psyched to see what's next. What do you think is next for, for him? Uh, for Izzy, I mean, he spoke about Cannoneer. I guess that's fine. Like, I'm not super excited about it. I'm not sure that Cannoneer is rounded enough. We've seen him lose enough times, even by KO, to guys like Dominic Reyes. So I'm not so sure that he has, like, this, you know, very tough matchup for Israel. I think Israel will be a huge favorite in that one, especially against an aggressive striker. One thing I will quickly do quickly want to say, the thing that Paul Acosta did not have, that both Yoel Romero and Kelvin Gastelum had, that allowed for those two fights to be so close, is speed. Those guys, when they do pressure, they do it so fast that it's hard to see coming. And Paul Acosta never had that, right? He just had that blitzing, power-punching style, which should have given him a higher chance. Uh, he just chose not to take it. But who do you see for Izzy, if not Kenanir Nikolai? It could be the winner of Cannoneer Whitaker. I mean, it's probably too early to say, but what are we in now? We're in November. I mean, I will not be surprised if the 4th of July fight is Adesanya Shemaev. Hamzat, really? You think Hamzat? Interesting. Yep. I mean, I know Hamzat like called for it, but I think Dana White would want to... He'll have two fights first. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. If, if, he, if he gets uh, two top 10 guys out of there, then there's an argument to be made. But as of right now, like... As far as I can tell, no, I think I think yeah, I think there may be a fight for Izzy before that that he'll that he'll probably win, and I think that'll be this the big July Fourth card. I'm there with you, buddy. Anybody uh, who do you have in mind for Yan if it's not John Jones next? Oh geez, in that division, I got to check. I think it's got to be the winner of Teixeira versus Santos, right? Yeah, yeah, so yes, of course. Yep, makes sense. I'm there with and you, and I and I'm excited for either of those fights. A really spectacular performance by Brandon Roy Valnick, uh, roughed up Kaikara France for minute one, just made it such a frenzy in there that Kaikara France could never really come up for air, and he was able to submit him in that second round after. Here's the thing. He's a tall guy, and we saw Kaikara France lose to another tall grappler slash striker uh, against Brandon Moreno just a couple of fights ago, and Brandon Roy Val, like, you know, he was busy with the strikes, busy with the kicks. His boxing was better than we've seen previously and his ground game has always been ultra dangerous he just pieced up Kai Carl France who is fairly undersized even for that division uh Caitlin Vera decision Sajara Eubanks you and I disagreed on this one you made the right pick here Hakeem Duwadu decisions Zabara Tugov most of MMA decisions uh gave that decision to uh to to uh to to Kugov I hear you there but here's a couple of variables I want to mention one if you miss weight by four or five pounds Nick and it's a close decision you should absolutely not win that fight. Two, if you're going to run away for the entire third round, refuse to engage because you don't have the gas tank to, because you didn't not only cut weight like you should have, but you also didn't prepare your conditioning like you should have, you don't deserve to win the fight. And quite frankly, I would be fine eh, with I, I mean, I'd both of those things are abstract and all- It's not abstract. You've, com- you've complained about, okay you've complained about saying, weight well, before what, when let- Roxanne Matafari's lost, but suddenly it's not a problem. Come on. No, well, no, that's not. There's complaining about it, and then there's factoring into the scoring. If what you're saying is that there should be a point deduction, I think that so. isn't the case. But I agree that that that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, but I think it's it, a better idea than sco- Izzy's scoring. Idea. But so, do I think that? Do I think that like Duadu deserved to win? 
Yeah, I do. Do I think that like looking at everything objectively, watching the three rounds with the sound off and scoring it according to the rules, like I think it get, I think it's very close because you can easily give the first two rounds um, to Takugov. I don't know that I I saw the third round as a as I don't think it was I don't think he did enough damage for it to be a ten a ten eight. But yeah, I hear you. Um, I agree with both of those things in theory, but the scoring, it's it's like listen, those other things are outside of they're outside they're outside of the fight, and you have to um, you have to score them the way that a jury, when they're asked to ignore a piece of evidence, has to put it out of their mind. That said, you're make if you're making an argument that like I said, that a point should. Um, I think that as Izzy was saying, right after he destroyed Costa, what he was talking to Dana White about wasn't his fight. It was about the fact um, that his uh, that his buddy um, Shane Young ate it from a guy that you know ate it from a guy that didn't make weight and only had to pay like a small percentage. That's what he was yelling. Well, it was about actually both of these fights. Like he's uh, friends with uh, Dawood as well. Did. Yes, yes, it was. It was both of the fights. You're right. Um, I, I will quickly say about Izzy's idea of getting like eighty or ninety percent off your fighters. I think these fighters are struggling enough, and they're not making enough as is. I think like fifty percent is not unreasonable, especially if you have an egregious weight cut that's like you know several pounds like that. And yeah, a point deduction. It's gonna affect whether or not you can win this fight. I know Francis Ngannou might not care if he doesn't make weight. Not that he's close to that two hundred sixty-five pound limit, but everybody else should be concerned, right? There's plenty of finishers. I hear that, but everyone else should be concerned about the fact that you're getting a one-point deduction going into a fight. So I think that's probably the idea to go with. 50% of your purse and a point deduction, um, I think that should put enough scare into people to either compete in the right weight division or to uh, make weight. Now, obviously, there's some concern about guys doing a little bit too much to make weight and putting themselves in danger, but you gotta, you just got to make weight. It is, it is what it is. Um, Brad Riddell, Alex De Silva, good decision. Brad Riddell came through in the second and third rounds. Alex De Silva, I talked about how he could get a takedown and control here and possibly win a he decision. He looked good. And he did look good in that first round. He just could not keep it together. Until he got that. tired. Yeah, exactly. Jake Matthews, I actually recommended a bet. This is one of the really good bets that I recommended. On Jake Matthews by decision, it was something like minus 130, even though he was a minus 750 favorite. I expected that Diego Sanchez was tough enough to survive, and he did. And then Ludovic Klein with that beautiful knockout over Shane Young ran right through him. I don't think that Zerbayo's weight miss is acceptable. I'm a little bit more lenient toward Klein, who, as far as I can tell, hasn't recently missed weight and took this fight on a few days' notice. Yeah, a few few days' notice is tough. Um. I think that 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 one point deduction and fine should be alleviated for people who are showing up at the last minute and if they're the only guy available and the UFC says yes and they say they're twenty five pounds over, you know, like what are you gonna you know you know it's not worth dying. Yeah, I do hear that, but I'm sure the UFC asks whether or not you can make weight, and some of these guys are making weight. I had my concerns after hearing that he didn't make weight about his conditioning, but was not a factor, man. Shane Young is too hittable, and Ludovic Klein is a goddamned finisher. Well, it didn't it didn't last long enough for us to have any thoughts about his conditioning. Yeah, yeah that is absolutely true. William Knight got a decision over Alexa Kamora. Guy's extremely athletic, and I should have given him more credit. Um, and then Juan, holy cow, yeah, it was it was yeah. a bad night for Stipe Miocic's training partners. Both Jeff Hughes and Alexa Kamora did not look very good. Juan Espina, with some high level Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, as always, got his submission. I mean, it was a scarf hold. It's not exactly like an intricate move. It will work at heavyweight, and it will work possibly in some women's divisions if you've got like an extremely strong submission grappler. And then we got some uh, pretty low-level MMA with Danilo Marquez versus Cadiz Ibrahimov. Anything else to uh, to mention there, Nikolai? No, I just overall I enjoyed the card uh, quite a bit, and not just because I my picks my picks worked out. <laughs> Uh, it had a lot of exciting stuff. Like I didn't, ex- I didn't expect Knight to be that strong, yep. um, and that kind of interesting to watch. Um, I thought that I didn't expect Riddell against the Silva to be as competitive as it was. So that was great. Kaikara France against Royval was just MMA bliss. Yeah. Um, you know, it, like there were a lot. It was it. Well, I mean, a lot of people were talking about the card was extremely top heavy. But I, you know, I enjoyed the narratives of the the rest of the fights for the most part. Yeah, outside of the Danilo Marquez Kadisi Bergimov and William Knight fight wasn't Ugh. high level, but I do think William Knight has a decent ceiling, and I think it, it, I think yeah, it wasn't uninteresting. In future, I agree. I'm there with you, buddy. So let's take a break. Come back and cover this weekend's UFC Fight Night headlined by Holly Holm and Irene Aldana. A surprising, like I know there are not a lot of names on this card, Nick, but I do think there are some. There, there are some people worth watching for the near future of the UFC. We'll be back, folks. 
back on the MMA Geeks podcast. We're going to break down this weekend's UFC Fight Night. Got some interesting names. I mean, it's interesting how the main event is Holly Holm versus Irene Aldana, and then it drops off to Jorgen DeCastro versus Carlos Felipe, two guys that have a combined three fights in the UFC. Obviously, we've got Jermaine Durandamy, a bunch of, I think, like prospects on this card as well, uh, a bunch of close pickups that I think could be a little bit wider on the betting lines, and for that reason, I think there are some opportunities here. Nick, for my first pick, I'm going to take Kyler Phillips to be Cameron Elsie. Phillips came into his UFC debut as an underdog after a, a tough run, after a, basically two super, super close decisions to some very serious prospects. He's a smooth, creative striker, solid grappling game as well. He's only lost to, again, top opponents uh, via close decision. Elsie trains with Donald Cerrone. Most of his opponents weren't very good. Like a lot of them have 0 and 0 records and 1 and 6 records and that kind of thing. Um, and that's what kind of accounts for a six-fight winning streak going into this bout. Outside of that, he's been starched a couple of times. So I like Color Phillips to style on uh, Cameron Elsie. Uh, that's a that's a good pick. I I agree with you, but I wasn't. I don't have it. I haven't seen enough tape on Elsie, and I didn't want to get caught off guard the way I did by that first fight last week, um, where you had you know where I underestimated um, the Brazilian fighter. A bit, but yeah, I have based on information I have, uh, I would also pick Kyler Phillips. That said, I feel like I've got a much clearer picture on my first pick, which is going to be I'm going to pick uh, Charles Jordan uh, <laughs> uh, to take out uh, Josh uh, Cooley. Oh man, I can't. Cooley Bow, Nick. It's not rocket thing. science. Cooley Bow. No, it's not. <laughs> against uh, Kulabau. I thought Jordan fought a really, really good fight against Andre Feely. It was super fun to watch. Um, I think he's a I think he's an impressive competitor fighting out fighting out of Quebec. Um he has that win against Duho Choi also, which is nothing to sneeze at. Uh pretty impressive knocking him out. And against, you know, Kulibau, who we saw in his only other UFC fight get pretty beat up by Jalen Turner. I, I, I don't quite understand the, the matchmaking here, to be honest. Uh, I think, I think that Charles Jordan, based on his performances, uh, deserved a better, uh, more, a more competitive fight. I think he's going to blow him out of the water. I think it's a matter of the UFC realizing that Charles Jordan is a legitimate prospect and not just like some kid that they recently took onto the roster. And I think they're giving him a little bit of an easier track now after putting him right into the fire in his first two UFC matchups. He came in there as a pretty decent-sized underdog to both uh, Korean Superboy and Andre Philly. And here's the thing. Yeah, he did lose to Des Green. But, Des, I mean, Des Green, for all of his insanity and like weird shit – uh, is you know, Des Green's pretty. He's pretty ready to go. Like he's a very qualified dude. He is very, very experienced, crafty veteran with good wrestling, low output, unfortunately. But here's the thing: Des Green was a little bit of a while ago, right? Charles Jordan does look like he's hitting on all cylinders at this point. Look, Kulibao was a better fighter than his UFC debut on short notice. White one weight division up against the prospect than Jalen Turner showed, and Jalen Turner being a big one seventy against Kulibao, who had no business fighting at uh, one. Oh, I'm sorry, being a big 155. He had no business fighting at that weight division. I think Jordan should be able to overwhelm Kulibao with his power and output. Uh, he has a knockout win over Korean Superboy and a split decision loss to um, Andre Philly, who's a contender. So pretty high-level opposition leading into this matchup here, like you said. So I'm there with you, Nikolai. My next pick is going to be Casey Kenny to beat Haley Alatang. I think that Casey Kenny. I mean, look, he's well-rounded, right? He's got a wrestling background. Um, he's got good stand-up, like effective striking. I believe he's a southpaw. Good grappling in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? He's got wins over Ray Borg, Manny Bermudez, and Luis Smoka in the UFC thus far. Uh, the only loss he has and, in the UFC is to Delashvili. Yeah, and he well also, do you know who he beat before he came in the UFC? I can't remember if it was in... Okay, I can't remember the names of some of the other federations. He has a win over Brandon Rival. Oh, that's true. That's he does. Uh, he does, and that was a good fight. And that's actually the fight on which I based, uh, like, picking against Brandon Royval in his first two UFC fights. Um, and again, it just shows how good Casey Kenny is. Alatang is—he's got good striking, good wrestling. He's not busy enough. Good power, uh, and yeah, serious power in yeah. his right hand, but he's not busy enough. And he won two very close decisions to in two UFC fights that you know, like, kind of mid-level opposition. Um, I think Kenny should have his wave here. He's beaten better competition. It should be the better grappler and striker. 
Uh, Alatang has power in his right hand, but Punch's chance, I think, is not enough in this matchup. Yeah, I agree. I agree with everything that you said. Um, we've seen that Kenny can take can take a shot. So yeah, it's, again, there is a puncher's chance, but I think that's I think that's about yep. it. Uh, should be a fun fight to watch. Though. I agree. Uh, <clears throat> my next pick, just so I can get full names right, because I only wrote down the last names. Going back onto um, the uh, topology page here, I'm going to pick Nazardine uh, Imavov, the Russian sniper. Uh, to snipe out Jordan Williams. You're talking about uh, an, an exciting move forward uh, fighter in the American Jordan Williams, uh, who's very, very hittable against uh, a, a quite talented striker who comes out of that gym in, Fr- in France, MMA factory, uh, where he's where he's training with Francis Ngannou, with Cyril Gain. Uh, bad, bad dudes, bad dudes over there. Uh, so I think this is... I think this is a really good, a really good debut uh, for a guy that I assume that the UFC has has designs on. Yeah, Williams is a type one diabetic, so he doesn't cut weight. He weighed in a hundred at eighty one pounds for his last fight at middleweight. Looks smaller than most of his opponents. He's a gritty fighter, power in his hands, decent takedowns and ground and pound. Imavov is a high-level striker with multiple levels to his arsenal, like you alluded to, dangerous on the ground as well, really good grappling. It reminds me of Yusuf Zalal a little bit and how smooth and clean his technique is. He's kind of an artist in there, and he kind of alludes to the fact yeah. that uh, you know he started in boxing, but he prefers MMA because it really lets him express uh, his artistry. Williams has heart and skill, but Imavov should be able to look good here. He's bigger, faster, and more skilled. Uh, I think this is a great betting opportunity. I have no idea why... Uh, Imanovov is such an underdog, but I like the picnic. It's a little bit earlier than I would have had it. My next pick is going to be Dusko Todorovic to beat Daquan Townsend. Daquan has not looked particularly good in the UFC thus far. He's winless there, I believe, and he's facing a guy here who just is going to make it a war of attrition. Worst case scenario, best case, he's going to be able to take Townsend down who Townsend down, who doesn't have very good takedown defense. And Dusko is crafty enough to know to go for takedowns against a good striker. I just think this is a pretty good matchup for Dusko. And there's a reason he's a big favorite. Yeah. I maybe should have taken this one before the last one, but I feel pretty confident about both of them. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, Townsend hasn't, hasn't showed a lot and we've got a real, we've got a real prospect yep. here. Um, so yeah, actually, both both of us probably should have picked this fight earlier. Uh, now it gets now we get into the the ones where I'm a lot less confident. It just fell. It just, the card just fell off a cliff as far as uh, confident picks that can be made. Yep. Now I'll go with this. I'm going to go with Jermaine Jermaine me against Juliana Pena. Uh, I'm going to pick uh, Durandamy. I don't. We Pena has not been that active, and she's not that big. Um. And her wrestling game didn't work out that well against a fighter who's now at 125 in in Valentina Shevchenko, where she got herself subbed. I don't like Jermaine Durandamy is not. I don't think she's very easy to take down, and Amanda Nunez is so much bigger than Pena. So I think that Durandamy is going to be able to keep this. F- I don't think she's going to find herself getting smothered and on the bottom in this fight. And every second that it's standing. Uh, I think she's I think she's landing leg kicks. I think she's firing off her jab, and I don't think it's going to leave Pena with a lot of options. So as long as Durandamy can sprawl, and probably a lot of this fight's going to be, um, this is how I see it going. There's going to be a bunch of time spent up against the cage, uh, hand fighting and in the clinch with Pena trying to make something happen. Durandamy's got really good balance. She's eventually going to get free, and then she's going to light her up. So we're going to end up with like three to three and a half minutes of can Pena take her down? No, not really. And then Pena eating shots. Yeah, I'm largely there with you. I'm not as sure that Durandami will finish her in the first, but it's entirely possible. Check. Wait, whoa, who? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't say she was going to finish her. Okay. It just sounded like you thought that Pena was going to try and take her down for a couple of minutes and then Durandami would break free and... and, and oh, no, I, no, I see... Not finish her. I just think light her up. I, hear that. I think that'll be the... Um, I mean, maybe she finishes her, but I, I think Julian Payne is pretty tough. I just see it being, th- I see it being three rounds of, of, of that, like, r- like rinse, repeat. All right, she's going to try to take her down if she can, and she'll just get eaten up. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see it. Durandami is a high level. Probably a, deci- probably a decision, I, I would 
Yeah, yeah I think that's likely enough. Uh, although Durandami, again, has a serious right hand. It's possible she knocks her out. She's a high-level Dutch kickboxer with a serious right hand. Excellent takedown defense outside of her last fight. Speaking of her last fight, Nick, since 2011, Durandami has only lost to the greatest women's fighter of all time in Amanda Nunes. She has wins over ranked fighters in Raquel Pennington, Holly Holm, and Aspen Ladd. Uh, Aspen Ladd, by the way, by knockout. Pena was once seen as a serious prospect and contender until inactivity due to injuries and personal problems kind of hampered her career. She's only lost to Valentina Shevchenko in the UFC, which is, you know, again, she's only lost to the GOAT, essentially, in, in a little while as well. Mostly a pressure grappler with ferocious ground and pound and decent takedowns. Has beaten Jessica, Katzangano, Nico Montano. Also, some, you know, a pretty good resume, I'd say, in the UFC. I like Durandami a lot here. Uh, I think she's a steal up minus 130 odds. No one has been able to take her down in years outside of Amanda Nunes. I don't think Pena has that level of wrestling, and Pena can't compete with her on the feet. So I'm very much there with you, Nikolai. My next pick is going to be Jorgen DeCastro to beat Carlos Boy Felipe. I realize that there's some risk here. I actually think the odds are a little bit too lopsided. But just based on what I saw in their last bouts, right, Carlos Felipe is mostly like... So he has solid pressure, mostly throws one-twos and just about nothing else. He started off strong against Sergei Spivak in his UFC debut and tapered off after that. Uh, Castro is an explosive striker, fast, solid counters with his boxing, powerful leg kicks. And he's coming off a loss to Greg, Greg Hardy. I believe that was his first fight that went to decision, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Looked good early and then kind of tapered off after hurting his foot on a bad leg kick. I think that Jorgen DeCastro's explosiveness is going to pay, pay dividends early here. And both guys kind of lose wind toward the end of a fight, judging by uh, judging by Felipe's la, uh, UFC debut. So I expect that DeCastro should, you know, be the faster man here. He's slightly taller, which, you know, he's coming off a fight against a 6'5", super athletic Greg Hardy. So I expect that DeCastro should look good here. There's a chance he gets a first-round finish. Um, but if that doesn't happen, there's always a chance that, of course, Felipe kind of starts to take over in the middle of the bout. What are your thoughts buddy yeah i probably would have picked this one earlier i really liked DeCastro castro until he hurt his foot i worry a little bit about his heart um but i forgot to write this down i had made my pick which was going to be the castro but i didn't have it on my list of rankings so my bad there your win um but lar- largely largely i agree with you um the whew, next we've got how many fights left three we've got four fights left on my list four fights left hmm I'm going to pick the main event. I'm going to go with Holly Holm to defeat Irene Aldana. Um, I think it's going to be a tough fight, probably a split decision. Aldana has one fight that went four rounds uh, five years ago, five and a half years ago. Um, Holm has plenty of five-round experience at this point. I think, I think it's going to be an ugly. I think it's going to be an. Holm's really good at making fights ugly. I feel like she's going. She's going to be bigger and stronger. Um, I think this is gonna. A lot of this is gonna take place in the clinch. Uh, Holm has a good chin. I just, I, th- I think it's, a, I think it's gonna be a, a dirty, difficult Holly Holm fight where maybe she loses a couple around, potentially a couple rounds uh, early, but um, her, her great cardio, uh, her str- and her strength, uh, and her. her I guess I would say her, her defense to some extent will allow her to, to pull out the decision in a very Holly home way. Yeah. Holly has the boxing boxing background. Everyone knows that solid head kicks. She's been kind of grinding out her wins lately over good strikers. I, I think like training with Winkle John is not exactly helpful to anyone's boxing game. As we saw with the likes of John Jones and uh, Michelle Watterson, now Holly home who like used to be a really great boxer who can't box for shit now. Aldana is an actual solid boxer, better than Holly, in my opinion, at least in the MMA game. Her kicking game is improving. Her takedown defense is solid, but she can be held down and she can be held against the cage. That's the thing. I think Holly can grind out three of the five rounds in this one, like you said. There's a solid chance that Aldana has hit like a completely new stride, judging by her last performance, knocking out Caitlin Vera. If that's the case, then she has what it takes to finish home, who's a fraction of her younger self. But I'm giving home the slightest edge because the way she's been winning lately is exactly how Aldana has lost in the past, which is kind of getting either grinded out or the fight that she lost to Caitlin Shukagian was, you know, Caitlin just kind of staying busy with kicks, which look more pronounced than Aldana's punches. And 
you know, the, again, that grinding style that she lost to Pennington with, and Pennington, who got outgrinded by home in her last fight. So, yeah, I just think Holmes should be able to uh, grind this one out. It, it won't be interesting to watch by any means unless Aldana is leading the way. But unfortunately, that's the main event that we are stuck with. So I'm there with you on the picnic. My next one is going to yeah, be yeah. One more, uh-huh. well, one more, one more thing about that. I, I mean, uh, one thing to note is Holly's footwork. I think, I think is still pretty solid. Like she did get caught by Amanda Nunes really off balance. Um, and got drilled, but Nunes is a different animal. Vieira, who got stone cold, you know, KO'd in a highlight real fashion by Aldana, just isn't so sweet on the isn't so sweet with her feet. Like it's much easier to catch her with her feet together, or just in, a, in an awk. She she does not have the the boxing technique that I think that I I think that Holm does. So. I know that you were knocking Holly Holmes boxing, but I still think she's like fundamentally sound, if not interesting or that effective. Yeah, she'll stay outside uh, of the so pocket. I, still, I think I think, part, the ch- I, I think the chance of her I think the chance of her getting you know caught with a big shot uh is very, very low. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do hear that. Although, again, it it really all depends on if Aldana, like, she keeps improving, and she is literally better every fight out. So there's a chance that she is just in a completely different level, right? Caitlin Vieira has never looked bad in a fight, Correct. let alone getting starched like that. And, man, did she get starched by that uh, left hook by, uh, by uh, Irina Aldana. My next picnic is going to be, and I'm trying to choose between two fights here, I'm going to go with Court McGee to beat Carlos Condit. I might regret this uh, picking this one. I was gonna, I was gonna make the same pick, so I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, um, I, I just feel like both are veterans who've fallen on tough times lately. Condit had the higher ceiling in his career, having arguably won a decision over Robbie Lawler for the welterweight title a few years ago, and getting a piece of gold after beating Nick Diaz for the interim welterweight title. But he is on a five-fight losing streak, three of those by submission. McGee might be one in four in his last five, but he's losing to like competitive fights to prospects, and Condit is getting taken out at will. Um, I'll take McGee all day to pressure and take Condit down for a clear-cut win. I just feel like Condit is way further past, and I also think this is another betting opportunity with Court McGee coming in at around minus 130. So yeah, I'm. It's going to be a tough one to watch, but I'm. I'm also with you. Although I hope. I hope that you lose. <laughs> um, we're down to two picks, and these are ve- both very, very difficult. I'm going to go with Yesen Ayari to defeat Luigi Vendramini. I think that Vendramini, uh, the Factory X fighter with great BJJ, is moving down to 155. Um, it's all going to be whether he can take down Ayari or not. And it's just it's a coin flip. I I I think Ar is going to be able to be elusive there and and light him up and avoid avoid getting subbed. I could find out very very quickly on Saturday night that I'm wrong, but that's the that's the bet I'm going to make. Yeah, this to me was the most difficult fight to pick on the card. Luigi is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt with decent striking. He lost to Zaleski dos Santos in his UFC debut, but there is no shame in that loss, especially since he's a 155-pounder that went up against a large 170-pounder, and he took Zaleski's back in the first round and wasn't really that far from a submission. Ayari lost his last two fights, and his one UFC win was a split decision over a mediocre fighter. His last fight was his first at 155 pounds, and I thought it was a controversial decision loss. Um, pretty good striking, decent chin, and can't be taken down. Both fighters have been out for two years. Ayari is way bigger than Luigi. Ayari should also have the striking edge, um, and he should be faster. I'm concerned with Ayari's takedown defense, but I'm picking him. He's busier, bigger, and more confident in striking. As long as he stays off his back and keeps Luigi from taking his back, he should be fine here. So I am there with you on the pick. And this one I actually have some confidence in. Nick, the, the tiebreaker, the very last pick, in the matchup between uh, Loma Lugbume and Jin Yufrey. I think that Jin Yufrey is overrated. Like, I understand that she's an attractive I think you're right. fighter, but I don't think she, she doesn't really have high output. She has decent striking, not the best takedown defense, not the best grappling, and her output is pretty low. Loma is a more talented fighter who's had a competitive fight with top strawweight Angela Hill recently. She is way busier, significantly younger, and actually has more combat sports experience if you count her Muay Thai career, of course. I think Yufrey's uh, output is too low for this to be competitive, to be quite honest with you. So I'm, I'm surprised this one didn't get picked earlier. I just knew you had a special place in your heart for Jin Yufrey, so I figured that you would end I up picking her. D- I do. I do, but I, I also think 
I also think there's the possibility. I don't know enough about Lukbunmi's, uh, and I should have researched this, her takedown defense because I like she's the much better striker. And frankly, they're both atom weights. But if if Frey um, Frey is the is the more well-rounded MMA competitor, so I feel like if she can get this fight to the ground, maybe she can lay and pray for three rounds. I don't know. I don't. I I, I just stayed away from this one. Yeah, I hear that. Huh? It's a very one. Look at look at me. Is a very one-dimensional fighter. Uh, well, she is, but she's really solid in the clinch. She's solid at a distance. She has pretty good pressure, and like her clinch game allows for her to be pretty good with the defensive and offensive takedowns. Whereas, I mean, Jin Yufrey is actually one-dimensional, and in that one dimension, she's not very busy. So, so I I, I do get, I guess hear what you're saying. I just feel like Luke Bume, considering her limited MMA experience has shown big improvements. Like a tie fighter should not be able to fight at this stage uh, with her skill and effectiveness. And she is, I think there's a big difference between her and Euphre. I also feel like, isn't Euphre like, like I feel like she's four and four in her last eight fights. She's not a quality fighter in my opinion. And and she just made her UFC debut and got finished. So I I feel like there's another great betting opportunity here. I'm actually a lot more confident about the opportunities on this card versus the last one. Nikolai, that is it for us, buddy. We've uh, broken down this card. I'm quickly going to run through our picks. Your first pick was Charles Air Jordan. Second, you took Nasardin Imavov. Third, the Iron Lady, Jermaine Durandamy. Fourth, you got Holly Holm. And finally, Jesse Ayari. Jessen Ayari. My first pick was Kyler Phillips. Second, I had Casey Kenny. Third, Dusko Todorovic. Fourth, Jorgen DeCastro. My fifth pick was more Court McGee. And the tiebreaker is Luke Bume versus Jin Frey. If Luke Bume wins and we go to a tie outside of this picnic, then that is a win for me. If Yun Frey does, then it's a win for you. Buddy, we are now 14 of my wins to, I believe, nine of yours. So, we're, you know, you're five wins away from tying, Nikolai. Congratulations. 14, buddy. nine, and five. Sure. Well, we'll see. I'm, I'm sneaking up. And if... Uh... It's been a rough. Uh, it's been a rough three months for you, if you if you break it down. So I'm still trending upward, slowly but surely. And uh, this, I, I, this is one of those weeks where I feel like it'll probably come down to the tiebreaker. We were we were pretty much on the same page with everything. So it'll you know we'll see what happens. I will say though, I did end up getting four of my top five picks in this one. And actually, the two picks after that I got between Tiebreaker and Court McGee. So I, I'm feeling pretty good, but you do have some great picks in Jordan, Durandamy, and Imavov. I think those are just about locks, and, and we're going to talk about that in the betting segment. Nikolai, another good one in the books, buddy. I'm going to come back and give these guys the MMA Geeks betting guide. You have a great week, bud. You too, Stan. And I'm back to give you guys the MMA Geeks betting guide. Like I said, last week wasn't the best week for me. $66 loss. After all the profits we made in the prior weeks, it's not the worst thing in the world and it's bound to happen eventually. I recommended investing heavily in Adesanya, but in two parlays. And unfortunately, Reyes and Eubanks did not come through for me. I recommended Jake Matthews by decision, and that one came through. I thought that Diego would be able to survive, and the odds were there. Duwadu won me 100 bucks, which is awesome. But Kaikara France and the Adesanya Costa fight going, not going over two and a half rounds really hurt. Ends up being a loss, but again, I'm much more confident. I think there's a lot of great betting opportunities for this weekend. First, I recommend a straight bet on Luke Bume, who is fighting Euphre at minus 135. I think she's a steal. $67 to win 50. Like I said, Euphre doesn't have the output. And Luke Bume not only has the output and the ruggedness, but she's also picking up MMA like a pro. And Euphre is 4-4 four and four in her last eight fights. So not exactly a high-level fighter, in my opinion. Next, I've got Court McGee over Carlos Condit. Minus 130 odds. I think the odds are good here. McGee is losing competitive fights to really good fighters whereas Condit is getting kind of blown out of the water for the most part in his last five bouts. $65 on Court McGee to win $50 at minus 130. Next bet is Jermaine Durandamy. I think she's a steal at minus 130. $65 to win $60 on her. I happen to think that the Venezuelan Vixen is rugged, solid fighter. I think if she gets top position, she can do some things, right? But I'm not so sure in her ability to get that top position. Jermaine Durandamy has 100% takedown defense over the last many years outside of when she faced the women's goat, Amanda Nunez. Another straight bet in Nasruddin and Mavov at plus 125. I don't understand why he's an underdog here. I think that's insanity. $60 to win 75 on Imavov. And finally, I have a parlay for you guys. 
Casey Kenny and Dusko Todorovic. Casey Kenny at minus 302, Todorovic at minus 325. Combined $67 to win 50 on those two. I think there is some money to be made on this card. Obviously, you guys can decide whether or not you're actually investing the money that I'm recommending. Some folks invest double or triple. I really think there's some good opportunities here. A lot of fights that are very close in odds that don't have to be close. And like I said, Imavov being an underdog, I think, is a great, great deal. So I like the odds in this one. I expect that we're going to pick some money up next week. Let's quickly discuss next week's card. We've got a pretty exciting main event where Marlon Marais goes up against Corey Sanhagen. Marais is an established top-flight bantamweight, and Sanhagen is obviously an up-and-comer who's coming off of his first prospect loss in the UFC, at least. Really good main event there. I love that it's a five-rounder. Ben Rothwell versus Marcin Tabura. Edson Barboza versus Makwan Amerikani. Did not see that one coming. Yusuf Zalal is coming back. I spoke about him briefly earlier versus Sung Woo Choi. Alejandro Perez versus Thomas Almeida, a couple of guys that, you know, have had a lot of success in the UFC, but lately have been looking very human. Tracy Cortez versus Bay Malecki. I think that one's interesting. I think there's some real meat in this card. Also, it looks to me like there's probably 15 fights scheduled as of now for this one. I guess the UFC is kind of making sure that they're covered in case a lot of these bouts end up getting canceled as they have been lately. Outside of that, Chris Dukas is coming back, that heavyweight that got that first round knockout. Sergey Spivak, Al-Kaisi is coming back. Chika Jagatse versus Omar Morales is an exciting matchup that I'll be looking forward to for sure. We got Tagir Ulambekov versus Bruno Silva. I don't know any. I don't know much about Tagir, but he is 12 and one, pretty impressive record. And his name is Ulan Bekov, which you know he's bound to either be an explosive striker or a really good grappler. And Impa Kasagawe is coming back against Joaquin Buckley. I think that one's going to be interesting. Impa is looking like a real prospect thus far. Tom Breeze is also scheduled against KB Bular for next week. Should be an interesting card. I expect that a lot of these fights will fall off. That's really part of the 